Hello and welcome to episode 245 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 4th of July 2018. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Alex Wiltshire. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. It's hot again. <laughs> it's hot again, but not as hot. And I was sort of yeah. thinking, do we need to make a thing about this? Because it's just, <laughs> it's sort of normal. It's room temperature. It's just what it is. It is what it is. We're still upset about it. because <laughs> It's a little muggy. It's a little muggy. Basically, there is no news in the world of video games, as far as I can tell. There's Fortnite things going on. Are there? Mm. Oh, yeah, that, that Fortnite murder story is fun it's <laughs> a thing if you haven't heard about it you should hear about it tell um, me the, the Fortnite murder story okay so uh in Fortnite, there was a meteor in the sky like for everyone in all maps i guess uh and there was a big mystery about like where it would land maybe there's only one map in Fortnite battle royale um but uh when it finally was like breaking atmosphere players in lots of games gathered to watch it and because uh, you can build things in Fortnite, they built like a big ramp to get up as high as possible to watch it. And then somebody uh, joined that server and destroyed the ramp and broke the all-time solo kills record by doing so. Because <laughs> something like 45 people were on it and they all died <laughs> in the fall. And they're um, recorded at the moment. In yeah, I haven't actually watched it. So but it sparked a big debate about griefing. Like, is that, you know, over the line? Because it was mm. clear that they, those people were not engaging with the... Um, uh, engaging with the deathmatch side of things, but on the other hand, they were playing in solo mode where it's all for, what's the expression? Everyone for themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but also the funny thing is this guy's not very good. The guy who did it. <laughs> it's like a really bad kill to death ratio. <laughs> well, <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah. He just wiped out 45 games but, worth of, yeah. Yeah. And the, the game has like a rankings board for like most kills in a single game and he's at the top of it now. <laughs> oh, I think it's a good one. But, you know, obviously, it doesn't feel like it's very fair to have him on the top, but like, oh, what a move. At the move. same time, I, I what mean, a move. I, I feel like this is really interesting because suddenly like, I mean, obviously having like, um, so I'm interested in like ARG style or something in, in multiplayer games, who knew? Um, but like having, you know, that in the game by itself is like, okay, well, you know, ultimately the meteors and the rocket ships and the things will probably add up to a teaser for the next round of cosmetics or something, right? Like TF2 used to do. It'll be the, this is happening now update where everyone can be a robot or something. I don't know. Ultimately it will be to a sort of marketing end telling the story, right? Is what I'm saying. But they've, they've, they've made high stakes because of the sheer kind of enormous, apparent enormity of the fence. I think today, uh, objects started missing, going missing. There are little kind of, uh, portal or kind of rifts right. kind of appearing all over the map and things are going missing. It's probably something to do with some new map or something. Already. Yeah, I mean, I think of this in the same way as like the, the Mount Chiliad UFO stuff in GTA mm. Online, right? Like, it's 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 fun. This is a fun form of storytelling. I think most of the time it sort of turns towards it just keeps people's interest in the game, and that's fine. But I really like this accidental interaction with the fundamental purpose of Fortnite Battle Royale, which is for people to go into a map and kill each other. And the fact that that person is not at fault for engaging with the systems of the game in that way. Like the game is not Fortnite appreciate like an eclipse or, you know, stargazing simulator, right? Like it is about the thing that he did, not the thing everybody else did in that moment. And that event will have been designed with the, with, with the tension of, of being able to watch this event happening while, and knowing that you could get shot. Yeah, exactly. And miss it yeah. in mind. Yeah, that is fun. Presumably they could all watch in spectator mode, right? <laughs> Presumably, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. 
But I guess maybe they wanted to be the first to rush to the scene or something. I mean, that's the thing, right? If they, if that, I bet you, if those 45 people, I don't know if that was when the, the meteor actually crashed or whatever. I'm, I've been paying attention, but like, you can guarantee those people would have then immediately murdered each other in pursuit of whatever <laughs> it was to be the first to do whatever. Or all throwing themselves off the ramp in a suicide pact. <laughs> well, we've seen the one thing that's going to happen tonight. <laughs> Time to end our lives. Driven mad by it's seeing, <laughs> throwing themselves off. I'm just trying to get closer to it like a moth. Mm. <laughs> or perhaps hit by it. Driven mad by content. <laughs> what better way to be Just the promise mad. of content. Like a moth to content. <laughs> Uh, it's basically, yeah, so other than that, apart, as far as I can tell by browsing the internet's video game websites, nothing else has really happened. So we should talk about what we've been up to instead. Yeah. Because that's what we do on the podcast. And we have all been playing the same thing. Same thing. Mm-hmm. In that, different ways, probably. Probably. And yep. that thing is Prey Moon Crash, which is a really, really good name, I think. I like that name a lot. I keep forgetting it though. Mm, really? Moon land, moon strike. <laughs> moon comfortable landing. <laughs> <laughs> moon arrive on schedule. <laughs> you don't crash into the moon in it. No. Come <laughs> You're trying to get off the moon, but you haven't crash landed there, have you? You most of you work there. <laughs> I assume that, like, so what my assume is my, my assume my assume my assumption was that there's a sort of virtual reality snow crashy kind of. Um, yeah, that's what I was cyberpunk thinking. thing, and you can put crash after anything, and it sounds cyberpunk, mm. yeah. right? Wine crash. <laughs> it sounds right? like a more of an economic thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's shit. That's really undermine that theory. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, right? So, but it's about the moon. That's what I'm saying. They've done there. You're on the moon. <laughs> You're on the moon. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so, prey moon crash is DLC for prey. And <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it's huge. It's really big. It's it like, it's a, it's a full brand new, new environment on the moon. You haven't been here before in the main game. And it is a complete sort of twisting around of all of the objects and things to do that you do in Prey. It Abilities, is kind of characters. Like the structure is the really big new thing. Yeah. And I'm someone who loves, uh, like structure and systems and finding out how things work. Um, and I listened very carefully and <laughs> paid a lot of attention and I read some articles about it and I still really did not know how it worked until I played it for like, yeah, same. not even for like an hour, but for like four hours. Yeah, like I'm just now starting to see, Oh, this is the game. And actually the, the most, um, uh, eye opening thing, um, I, not read but watched was um a youtuber who uh just absolutely loves it and just raving about it but um he's obviously played it for many many hours and the kind of the complexity it gets into when you go really deep in it it sounds absolutely nuts so it's kind of roguelike and that's obviously got me very interested because it's roguelike plus immersive sims my two favorite things um and so it always takes place in the same location but it's permadeath if you die you that character is um is dead uh, you start with only one character and there are five to unlock. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at the start, if you die, you just, you're dead and the whole thing resets and you go back to the start, but certain things are randomized, like locations can be closed off or opened up. Um, different hazards can be at different places. Um, but as you unlock characters, those are not just other class choices. Um, when you die, 
if any other characters who are unlocked have not yet died on this run, you could play as them now and the world stays mostly the same. Do yeah, you know, that's Alex? something that I'm not, I still haven't got quite a hand yeah, on. Yeah, same. Because, because last, last night I, I resumed as another character. I didn't start in the usual start location. I started in, in like near where my body, my, the body of my last character was. Yeah, that would explain some things actually. Yeah, because I was thinking, my first couple of runs, I was a bit annoyed because you, I seem to always start in the same place and just go through a big open area with some mimics in it and hitting them with like a, your basic starting weapon is kind of boring. Um, and I thought, I don't want to do this every time. But then with the, as I unlocked characters, I was playing in totally new locations. And at first I thought it was because of the character. But then when I started fresh with those characters, they started in the old location. So yeah, I think it must be something to do with where you are. But, um, uh, the difficulty also escalates and it escalates for as long as this simulation is running. So your character can die, and as long as you have another character, the simulation carries on, and you play as... Um, I guess, yeah, it is just where you... Somewhere near where you died. Uh, you, you play as one of the other surviving characters um, until they're all gone, um, and then the simulation resets. And when the simulation resets, everything can change. Um, all those you know, different areas can be unlocked and locked off and hazards moved around. Um, and also all the loot resets, and... Fixed door, like, so so you can, there are blocked off doors, you'll, you, I recognize them from the main game, but yeah, if you've repaired those doors mm. as one of the characters, um, they'll be blocked off again. And ultimately you're trying to, the, the final goal is to, uh, well, everyone's trying to escape, but there are lots of different ways of escaping. And your ultimate goal is to get all five to escape in the same run without resetting the simulation. So like if one of the, the first guy you play as manages to make it to an escape pod and takes the escape pod, the next person you play as um won't be able to use the escape pod because it's gone now and they also have different abilities so there's only one who can hack there's only one who can repair things there's only one um uh those are the old ones i can think off the top of my head <laughs> the, <laughs> those are the ones that i've um, encountered yeah. different access to issues. the alien powers and but stuff so i heard there's one uh thing like the objective for the volunteer i think is to escape through this portal but the portal's actually broken and needs to be repaired and he can't repair and he can't ever learn the repair skill uh, so a different class has to repair it on the same run that you want him to get through it. Um, and I think it even needs to be hacked as well by another yeah, class. And then, yeah, the, yeah, that's a two stage thing. So I think that one is, isn't possible until later on, but they all have, so like you have that as a, as the kind of like a main objective, but they all have story objectives as well. So, um, so you, instead you go off and experience the story for that character, which has the same sort of looping kind of, sort of aspect to it mm. it's really clever like it, it feels it's striking like it feels like a, a different game to prey in some ways it's not a sort of slow moving kind of horror thing you know the, the way mm. that any of the any any game that takes after system shock basically has that thing of sort of being half an action game half a sort of systems driven action game and half a sort of slow exploratory kind of immersive sim thing but not an immersive sim in the way that like Deus Ex is where you have all the power and you choose how you're going to handle an environment. It's you, you know, it's that, you know, it's the slow acquisition of resources, the kind of Metroidvania unlocking of things. And it, you know, all of these, you know, you probably spend not a lot of time with the best powers in the game because they all kind of focus towards the end of the campaign necessarily. This was really different in terms of how it's structured and really different in terms of how I, f how it makes you feel about the resource management that is inevitably part of 
these games, right? Yeah, like because that was a weird thing with Prey. Was, um, I had crazy resource glut, and I heard a yeah. lot of players who had total resource starvation. Mm. And here, I'm sort of merrily picking up everything at first, and then I start to realize, actually, I'm not going to live long enough to <laughs> use most of this stuff. Yeah, the important and I need the inventory you, space for other things. Yeah, an important thing you learn earlier on is that if, if you pick up all the stuff as one character... It's not there for the next characters. Yeah. If, and so, but it's on your body when you die, but like, oh, really? You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you find, you can find your body oh, and, nice. and get it all back. But, but, but if it you means escape that, with that stuff, if then. you strip an area, like you're, you may well be messing yourself up later on. So there's also, there's a operator, which is the kind of drones in Praise Universe that can carry stuff for you. Mm. And you put stuff in the operator and apparently that's shared between characters. Huh. So you can get it back from another character. But I also, I was about to escape with the character. And I just, as on my way to the shuttle, I was picking up a bunch of stuff. And then I thought, oh, no, I shouldn't pick up this stuff. Now that I've got it, do I just drop it on the ground? I didn't have the drone yet at that point. It should, should say that. Because there is, because there exists a drone specifically for transferring things between characters, that makes me think I can't transfer them by just dropping it on the floor. I think the game state really is saved really? to yeah. a degree of granularity. Because bodies yeah. are all there, like, you know. Bodies of bit, monsters are there. Yeah, yeah, they're just left there. Yeah. Awesome. And the neuromods, when you upgrade a character, seems to be just permanent. Like, That's permanent, even when yeah. you reset the whole simulation. So what, what's still permanent is the neuromods uh, that you install, and um, oh, there's some other stuff as well. Sort of if you have some unspent neuromods and you die, yeah, you lose, you lose them. So that's really interesting because you get in a situation that I'm in now where I don't have enough neuro, I have some neuromods, but not enough to buy the next upgrade. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't really want to die with that character until I find like one more so I can buy one of the two cost neuromods because I'm taking those and your resources out of the world potentially permanently I suppose although if it was on my corpse it could be found by next me yeah but but that next you isn't going to be the same character that you want to install it in yeah exactly it's really interesting <laughs> like if it's a like this one I'm saying it's a completely different game but like this is it feels like um, like you could release this as this this could be the high concept for an immersive sim uh, like a full-fledged yep, new immersive sim and I, yeah. I feel like you you go like oh shit like this is the most maybe this is hyperbole but like this is the most significant structural evolution of that idea so there's a nice illustration of of that where in the main prey campaign uh you'll use a security uh station to look Mm. up the the location of a story specific character's body yeah um so you can go and find the stuff that's on them but it's all kind of coded into the it's part of the story and you're just following the breadcrumbs. Like in this one, uh, it is seeded, um, the, a lot of the bodies that are lying around the, the moon station, uh, with things like key cards. And this stuff is randomized and the cat, the, the bodies lying on the ground are always randomized. So when you got to a door, it often said door last used by. Yeah. So then you go to and a, that's a new feature, uh, I think. Yeah. yeah. You go to that's a security station and you find out where their body is. And suddenly you've got a new quest, a new reason to go mm. and penetrate a different area of the, of this the, is, the I say though, this is a huge security risk. If you yes. work at this place, <laughs> yeah. like if there was a key card, you know, it's going to tell everyone your name. <laughs> hey, if you need this key card, I know you should hunt down and kill. <laughs> you can also use that to find your own body, can't you? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I haven't thought about that. Like, I don't know what I'm called. I don't know what the operator's called. Everyone, everyone has a name. Like, yeah. uh, do you mean the director? The, you, you're a volunteer. You, you have a lot. You're, you're a named person. You're not just like a random character. You're, yeah. You, you yeah. play one of five. Because you, you unlock one of them by finding their body. Yeah, the security guy. Yeah. Um, That's true. But yeah, there's the volunteer who's like the, uh, just psionics and nothing else. Um, 
and which is interesting because that's the first character you have yeah it's a weird choice and that character has a really low uh, amount of health yeah but you're able to deal out and you damage don't, like he specializes in cyber he doesn't know any cyber abilities when you start you've got to actually yeah. get some neuromods and upgrade him um, before he does anything at all so it's a really tough start um, so it's him there's the engineer who can make a free turret so uh, she's my favorite character she's the best um, and she's got so high health and she can repair stuff and the, the turret thing is like kind of like a psi ability. Like it's, you can just create it wherever and, uh, it's on a cooldown. And then when you want to, uh, when it recharges, uh, doing it again, like unsummons the existing one mm. and then you can place the new one. But it's also just a physical turret so you can pick it up and move it like normal. And they're called, they're randomized names, the turrets. They're kind of yes. called bird <laughs> names for some reason. <laughs> oh, right. Is that what they are? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that was a pattern I picked up. It might be more random than that. I had a great like physical comedy moment of um, I was being chased by the moon shark. <laughs> I was going to mention the moon lives. shark. The moon shark is a um, white dick. <laughs> and I was hiding in a little like alcove, kind of ledge with some pillars and stuff. And uh, I thought, ah, I don't need to face the moon shark. I'll just make a turret here. I built the turret and just the instant it was built, a rock hit it and just <laughs> it just went off screen. <laughs> rock and turret just went exited screen. Yeah, I left. found I found a turret and dropped a turret. It's laid them up, kind of like jumped up and down because it's um basically the moon shark is a a very large typhon enemy which um tunnels under the ground and you can see its wake as it goes over this large kind of open area outside on the moon surface and um if you touch the ground it will hear that hear the vibration mm. or whatever and come for you um and it's sort of alerted by that um big old game of the floor is moon shark yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah the the object from for that start of that um that you know getting across there is there are stepping stone rocks where you can jump to and you jump like stepping stone across it but anyway i set it up jumped up and down to attract it thinking my two turrets would be able to take it down <laughs> yep chuck the rock <laughs> and then which hit uh, uh, some sort of canister behind me as well and, and killed me. <laughs> I really like the new harvester robots that just sort of like beep at you and then try and hoover you. Oh, right. So they don't hurt. They can attack you. Oh. Because, well, this is what I've avoided them pretty. Uh, so I had to kill. So, um, I haven't, I haven't died yet. I've only played 45 minutes, but not lost anyone yet. Um, I should escape with the volunteer. Um, yeah. But the final room of that, this is, so I haven't really experienced the randomization yet because I've not reset the world state. The final room of that, because it had a new feature, which is called a Typhon gate, uh, which is if the door can, so it feels very video gamey at first because it's like if the door can detect any Typhon material, any aliens within a certain radius, the door is locked. Um, but actually it's nice. It's nicely simulated in that, um, that's not a sort of, you know, devil may cry style please kill all the enemies to progress to the next room check it is you know it is just a logic thing is there an alien entity yeah. near this gate when the moon chart runs off then yeah the gate will open yeah exactly um and you know it even warns you that if you inject enough typhon into you to get the psi powers then suddenly it will close for you as well <laughs> like that kind of thing and so to get to the escape pod, I think the, the volunteers first way off the station, um, I had to fight two engineering operators, little flying drones and one big Hoover. And something that was really like the reason that, like that was the moment it clicked for me that I felt, cause I felt like I was about to escape. And at the time I didn't really understand the structure that anything I take, anything I take with me is gone from the map for the next character. None of that stuff. But even then, 
it's a different kind of saving. Like I had an EMP grenade and a stun gun and a shotgun. So I, you know, as it started to try and hoover me up, I threw the EMP grenade into it and it kind of got pulled into it in a perfect way. And then, you know, detonated from the inside and then I could shotgun the weak point on the back of it. And it was like, yeah, this feels good. Cause I'm like using all of my resources up. Cause I know the game is about to be over, even though I'd only been playing for half an hour. And that was like the right amount of time and the right little adventure with the right ending that used the right systems in the right way. And it's like, and most of them don't deliver that often enough. You mm. too often you approach that thinking, oh, this is a hypothetically cool scenario, but I really don't want to waste my yeah, EMP grenade yeah. here. Absolutely. Like, you know, hypothetically I could do it this way, but I don't really want to like, because it's not efficient or because I really want to save this stuff for the boss and things like you really use your powers, really use the side uh, the side hyper, you know, use side powers, you know, even though they're on a, on a resource. That you're yeah. And sometimes just do the thing of like just blitzing through an area like, Oh, those phantoms have turned the other way. I'm just going to scoop through here really quickly yeah. and not worry that by, cause you know that you'll go back through the environment over and over again. And also because you know, after a certain point that the environment's going to be regenerated and randomized, it makes the environment and exploring every corner of the environment less important in a way that I think is actually favorable to the experience. Like, and at the same time, there's a real, there is a real, uh, reward to, in, in, you know, exploring the environments because once you know how areas link together, mm. just as it was in original play, but this time it has a real meaning because you will be having to use these spaces over and over and over again as you try to figure out, right, I've got to get from here to th- this area to this area. Yeah, like your reward is mastery, but it's not like the fear of missing yes. content. Yes. Like, you know, it's the... the you the, can leave, a, you can go straight past a locked door and think, that's fine. There are loads of locked doors. Yeah, like I've got a different mission. And that's, that's something I've always wanted most systems to do is like make me feel like... I don't value that right now because I have other things to worry about. Whereas secretly part of you is always in player mode where it's like, if I don't open every lock, if I don't like the, the hotel in prey, it's a perfect example of this. Is it, the, is it the hotel or is it the, it's no, it's the crew quarters. The habitation. The habitation. Yeah. It looks like a hotel. That's why I keep thinking. Of it. Um, um, the crew quarters where there are so many rooms and they're so packed with story stuff and that stuff's good. And there's like side quests and things and things to discover, but it gives you that it's in the immersive, sims version of the big town paralysis yeah. right it's that <laughs> big kind of, hotel. yeah big hotel <laughs> or like any big sort of deus ex hub area where you're like i really have to i need to have been in ev- i need to have been through all the bins every in every drawer. single yeah. place or i also i find it quite relaxing to like come up to a hackable thing and see oh this requires hack skill three well i can just never learn that this character can never hack yeah. so i don't have to worry about it it's, yeah it's like every other immersive sim protagonist has uncapped potential in yeah. that sense and like there's something really comfortable about knowing it. nope i can't do that like <laughs> well, it, i'll never be a violinist well it's the other way where you kind of feel you're a failure because you don't know something because like, oh yeah I didn't, I didn't and the cost of that is like oh that's that stuff i'm supposed to see on a different run yeah. of this 40 hour game yeah. and i'm on hour 30 you know that kind yeah. of thing this seems like it's going to be long yeah i think that's the biggest difference between what i was imagining and what i got was uh, they just showed the moon stuff and i was just imagining it being like sort of three or four little areas one yeah. after the other in a linear fashion and yes they're different each time but it's like a series of levels you play through but actually it feels much more like a big hub from the main game with all kinds of different regions that are, i still haven't explored all of it after like four hours yeah do you know what it reminds me of weirdly hitman episodes <laughs> and it's because of the sort of possibility thing like when you discover oh these are the escape routes these are the you know and and then you're, you're given like objectives to fulfill for your like corporation you work for that is sending you into this virtual virtual moon um oh, we you- should say yeah you're you're actually the story is that you are this kind of um 
person trapped on some sort of satellite or something in orbit around presumably the moon or something. Maybe you crash into the moon. That's the yeah, real moon yeah. crash. <laughs> He's been asked by some corporation to go through a simulation of what happened on the moon in, you know, some major disaster playing as these different people who were kind of who 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 did or didn't escape i don't even can't yeah. understand and uh, to understand what happened mm. <laughs> there's and then some, some asshole is just scrambling a simulation so you can't get good results <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well they could have done this way oh no that's just blocked this time yeah. oh, well. <laughs> but there's a there's a there's a uh, a driver to it. another driver to the fact that you kind of leave stuff behind is that the um the difficulty level increases over yeah. time quite risk of rainy style where mm. uh um, there's like a alert stage, like the Typhons generate, regenerate when you go over a threshold, uh, and it gets harder and they get become more and more powerful as you, as you go up. Mm. There are, you get drops of this, this hourglass shaped item, which sets that reduces I, wanna, I read the description for that and it was just like yeah. complete fourth wall breaking <laughs> yeah, was, I mean obviously it's all framed as a simulation so they can get away with it but it's like this is a this is a subroutine that causes <laughs> yeah. a delay in the timer for basically the difficulty it makes the difficulty timer go down alright what do you want <laughs> yeah <laughs> But that you, I am very aware of that. I was at the start mm. when I first started sort of, sort of playing it. I was terrified of it. Now I have a strong that? respect for it. <laughs> Did you see that uh, difficulty timer right from the start? I don't remember. You, you see it as the first time you escape. Okay. okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because I um, there was a lot of stuff I assumed it was holding back from me because it was my first run. And I'm finding out, uh, like the first time through, I'm pretty sure unless I just somehow failed to notice it but i don't think there was a moonshot the first time i no there wasn't like, i was okay so that's that was true for you as well yeah okay but this um the timer is uh like it, it makes me run through and i often i feel a little i don't know i don't know how i feel about it i either think it's great because it's a really important part of the systems which make you keep moving and kind of leave typhon behind and generally just get on with stuff and feel like there's stuff to be doing uh none of the leisurely sort of lapping up all the content mm -hmm. um but on the other hand there is often spaces like really could do with waiting in like oh you know i want to get all of the items in this room because yeah. i need them and i do want to read this note that someone's left because why it not does, you know? it does put stress on a thing that i already had a, a small issue with in the rest of sims where i'm not so engaged that i want to read all the flavor text but i do want to read if there's some note that has some important information in it, A, I want the important information, but also I'll read the whole thing. Like I want to get the flavor text and, and yeah. the context for it. But when there's a time limit as well, I just like, I look at notes and I just skip them most of the time now because it's just, uh, the chances of it being, um, or yeah, I, I assume when you're actually reading a thing, hopefully time is paused then, right? I but think it might be for notes and things, but it's definitely not for emails. Computers, and yeah. Cause that's all in world, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Um, but yeah, the time pressure thing is, um, uh, it's a scary thing to, to put on the player, you know, that people have very bad reactions to time limits. Um, but it's quite slow and you can, you know, it persists between, it persists for the whole simulation run. So even if your character dies, if you're playing as another character in the same simulation, the difficulty will still be where it let, where you left off. So it'll be higher and higher. And I had a, a my main run has been, you know, where I unlock most of the characters and I, um, uh, towards the end, I just unlocked the security guy by accident, actually I just stumbled across his body. 
and um so when my character died as i knew they would anytime soon um i was able to carry on as a security person because i just unlocked them and i did that uh, but by that point it was like level five so everything was nearly oh invulnerable and apparently at the max level i haven't encountered this personally but apparently at the max level a mimic kills you in one hit <laughs> um so I was on, on level five, but it was, and I could have just reset the simulation, you know, unlocked a new character, I made some progress, so you can just press a button, reset the whole simulation, and you're back at difficulty zero. Um, but because there are so many ways to make persistent progress, um, it successfully tempted me into like, well, I might as well just play as this guy, just creep around, try and avoid the enemies. If I get a single neuromod and I install it, that's progress that uh, is permanent. And also everything you do gets you these points that you can spend on equipping your characters each time you do a loadout. So I've that's, been, yeah, killing stuff, finding bodies. Yeah, and you get loads of it. Um, I was like worried about spending 300 on a, to get a pistol at the start of my run and then uh, earned like 46,000. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I could probably afford to spend Yeah, that's an interesting system as well, like the, being able to find recipes to buy stuff between runs and... Yeah, so the so the recipes that you find you found in the campaign, the praise campaign... Uh, in this, they unlock them in the, the machine, just as they did in the campaign, but they also get unlocked when you're outfitting your character at the start of a run. Hmm. Um, yeah, that system, the purchasing system, I haven't really got into yet, but you, like, it's clear you can buy, you can buy neuromods through it, for example. Yeah, uh, which is quite grand. Big. It's not, <laughs> not bad at all. Um, and yeah, with that, that playing as a security officer on like maximum difficulty it was actually really fun just to like you know a single phantom is terrifying to me and i'm just like if i see one i have to run and hide and then figure out if i can ambush it in some way and use the right kind of damage to take it out which is by that time you picked up enough stuff that you're actually pretty powerful well this was a new i just started as a security oh, guy yeah so okay. some <laughs> some other fuckers have picked up all the good yeah. stuff and, like, <laughs> the level's nearly barren um yeah it makes perfect sense that i was starting where i left off because i was surprised I had one run where, like, when I continued as a new character, I was in the same area and uh, it was all picked clean. And that was kind of good because I actually just wanted to get my bearings and, like, figure out this new character and everything. And then the security officer, um, I was surprised that I was immediately in an area that was just thick with enemies mm. and, like, totally hazardous. Mm. And so my brain didn't spot the pattern there. Like, one time it was empty, the other time it was just really chaotic. But they were both the same thing. They're both, I started roughly where I left off. In one case, it was I just finished that area, and in another case, I was just starting an area. Mm. I think the reason I was going to think I was going to say earlier, the Hitman comparison is my my fear for it is so like new Hitman, the the pleasure of those levels was sort of initially kind of discovery and figuring out what all the routes were and figuring out what the possibility space was in terms of not just obviously Hitman's a little bit different in that if you basically see escaping is the equivalent of getting the target, and in Hitman new ones is always like four or five specific pre-planned ways for you to do that um just finding the escape routes reminds me of that a little bit like oh this is this particular series of things i need to do to make the portal work or to get to the escape pod that kind of thing that the the issue i found with hitman is that not only an issue but like at a certain point i have seen it all and therefore don't feel the pressure to perfect it to to do every every single you know the sort of aim, the main goal um, of this is to hit all five characters out in a single run. But there's also a sense that each of the characters has like a preferred way out as mm-hmm. well. So obviously there's like finishing it and then there's finishing it plus where you do a single run and get everybody out in the way that's perfect for them. And that is probably, I can see it now. That is probably the point where I check out, like having done it once, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And that's not to say it's essentially a flaw because 
it's good that people should have different degrees of being able to master the game. And that's certainly an improvement over, I think, where most games like this end up, where you finish it once, and then if you do play it again, it's purely out of curiosity to see stuff you might have missed or to try a play style that you might not have tried. But I can see that sort of becoming, I can see the mystique fading at a certain point and being replaced with purely the pursuit of the right ending or the right success or i can see i can certainly imagine uh if it if it's big enough like the youtube yeah runs kind of this is the uh, you know best way if you do not get this thing by this point restart the simulation (laughs) that kind of thing that sort of thing it's interesting because the persistence messes with that a bit in terms of i mean i'm sure there'll be because you can't reset it from, from zero but um like i'm sure there'll be much easier ways to do things if you have all your characters with all the neuromods they can possibly get. Because as far as yeah. I can tell, you have a limitless supply of neuromods, really. You play as many times as you like, and your every upgrade you make is kept permanently. So I actually had a, a cool situation that would never come up in the main game where I was on, as the security officer in that desperate run with the, uh, all the difficulty cranked up, I was on like 15 health. And I was in the middle of a fight. I was looking at my inventory. Do I have any medkits? Do I have food? Just anything. Give me a little bit of health. And I have nothing. And then I thought, I wonder what's in my neuromods menu. <laughs> and the security officer has just, his list is enormous and it's all physical stuff. It's just a super fit man. I'm strong. I can run. I'm healthy. <laughs> and uh, one of the upgrades is max health. And I thought, well, you know, it gives me 50 <laughs> extra max health. I'm betting that's at least 50 extra health. Um, and I got it and it actually basically heals you nearly to max. And so I had 170 health suddenly. And so I spent a neuromod on a thing I didn't want just to heal myself in the situation. Mm. Yeah. I did that with the volunteer on my first run, actually, because you can get the one that heals you when you get hit. Oh, yeah. And that was like a way around, not effectively healing myself, but like mitigating a certain amount of damage taken, therefore giving me more effective health over time, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. When you're unable to find stuff, it, it feels a lot gamier by necessity of both what it is but also the fact that it's a simulation um which again it benefits from like i feel like that's a from a storytelling point of view that's a well that you can't keep going back to like as a way to explain you know talking about the hourglass thing is probably the most obvious example of this but like you know you're, you're limited a little bit in the types of stakes you can create when oh it's all a simulation is, is your way of getting around this stuff but actually i quite like that about it it kind of almost feels like a like a series of dungeon crawls as well like yeah. it feels like you know the immersive sim owes so much to games like Ultima underworld and there is this sort of parallel evolution of both rpgs and you know sort of traditional sort of pen and paper derived dungeon crawler rpgs um things like Ultima underworld leading to like legend of grimrock and, and those kinds of games and system shock into deus ex and bioshock and and thief and that sort of family of games on the other side and this feels weirdly like it's sort of reached across to the rpg side and pulled stuff over not just talent trees and skills and things but actually like structure like here is a challenge room you know here is here is the monster for this area how do you get past it not just you know um what experience do you have in encountering it or that kind of thing or the, the the immersive part of the sim like it's it's fully in dungeon sim as well if that makes sense yeah yeah and it's totally recognizing that that most of sims come came straight out of roguelikes or you know rogue and things you know yeah right yeah like there's loads of you know the that threat increasing thing is the equivalent of its hunger system or whatever (laughs) you know from from rogue stuff and Mm. um but it's uh 
I thought the um yeah, so when what stays consistent between runs is neuromods that you equipped, chipsets that you've found. Points. So if you find a chipset mm. uh which are things that you install that give you kind of minor upgrades, fundamentally kind of passive minor upgrades, um, they will then become a- available in the shop when you start. Um and that's not true for weapons, it seems. Like for weapons, you need the new, you need the fabrication plan, right? For that's it to right. Be yeah. In the shop. And then fabrication plans allow also unlock them in the shop. I've done, um, I've completed somebody's, I got confused at first because everyone has a story objective mm-hmm. and it says, I'll do this to unlock the story objective. And so I did that. And that I'm just now realizing that wasn't the story objective or that's not the story mission. There's now a story mission by doing that objective. I've unlocked a mission. Have you done any of those missions? I, I came so close to the end of the, uh, the, the engineers one. So yeah. Like, yeah. And I got killed right at the end. And that, honestly, the biggest problem with this is that this is a game in which you will get like, because, because there's only one character that can hack, there's only one character that, who can, who can repair mm. and things. It means that if you're on a run and that character gets killed before they've done the act that will <laughs> do the thing that you wanted to do, like, because it's this sort of, you know, it's like a domino effect of things. Like you need this person yeah. to do this and then this person to do that. Like for you to be successful, it is really frustrating. Like you just huh. really kind of like, Oh God, you know, um, and, I've had one run where, you know, I got a little way into, uh, you know, trying to, I mean, as it, as I discovered it, I couldn't make the escape because I needed the hacking for, for the mimic portal, um, escape, um, because that was the next one flagged in the objectives list on the, you know, in the game. And, um, but, but, but I was sort of schlepping around as the volunteer who's the kind of the psi sort of based one. And then realized that I'd done and I'd previously already killed the engineer character. Um, and then I realized that, oh no, this needs fixing. This means that on this run, I cannot do the thing mm. that I thought I needed to do. And all of the stuff that I'd done up to that point, you know, unlocking doors and getting key passes and, and yeah. clearing out areas was for nothing. And I'd have to reset the whole thing to do that. And that, that, feels like it might be a big issue because a run is like you know you're talking about like careful play is going to be an hour two hours i don't know like yeah, you know it's it's prey you know you you play it even with that constantly ticking kind of danger zone timer yeah you're um you're playing carefully and you know yeah methodically it feels like the thing that i use uh, as soon as I unlocked the engineer and I got the ability to summon turrets, I slightly misunderstood what that meant. And I thought that was going to, because it says it, it does a lot of pop-ups for things that you, I knew from Prey 1, but sort of Prey, not Prey 1, Prey 1, 2, 0, <laughs> Origins. Oh, um, and, um, the, um, and it was like, here's how to summon an ally. And it's referring to the turret, but I was like, oh, can I pull the other characters into existence? <laughs> if they, you know what I mean? That was, it feels like the, the missing part of the puzzle is the ability to change character and complete those tasks with somebody else and sort of play all five runs quasi simultaneously. Oh, yeah, yeah. If that makes sense, because occupying. Yeah, you're space. right. The that you go op- into like a closet and someone yeah. else comes out. <laughs> yeah, that optimal run um, does require knowing what order to do things in with what different characters and what kind of. And I can and see I the satisfaction of, in that. Yeah, there's definitely satisfaction. And I'll definitely in that. watch a YouTube video of someone doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely won't do it. But yeah, there's a, you, you, because mistakes, you just think, 
oh, I misunderstood that. And yeah. And I didn't realize. It would be good if this is maybe a bit backseat game design-y, but like, I, th- I do feel like that stems from locking off repair and hacking, particularly yeah. uh, behind two characters. And I can see why they would do that, because if any character can learn any skill, then players will approach it completely differently. They'll probably max everything out on one character and then just run the others through. But it would be interesting if, like, there were, like, one-use items that were pretty rare that, like, did a hack or did a repair. Yeah. And so, you know, you could you could find a way around it. Or, you, you know, you'd, if you find that item as the character who doesn't need it, you stash it somewhere for the other character, and that then becomes interesting rather than just a roadblock. Oh, I know how they could do it uh, in a really... A hacky way is there is actually a bit where there's a skill you don't have and you need it and so you use a uh connect to me device to transfer a skill from someone else's brain to yours so you should have to try and find the corpse of the hacking character and then plug into them and like use neuromods to absorb you can like pick one of their skills just to have yeah. this run and uh use that that'd be good yeah that'd be a bit good mitigating kind of uh Thing. Yeah, it should make you think, but I, I agree with you that I would find that. I, I'd find that um, sort of like progress loss thing a sort of... I mean, and, and then, you know, apart from... I, I think that you'd learn your way around that, you know, because mm. I haven't made that mistake since. But, um, but you know, when you die... Because this is still an immersive sim. This is still prey where, you know, like a sequence of events happens which sees you die, you know, completely unexpectedly and it's all fair like it really you know you were standing next to the explosive canister whatever but like it does mean that sort of all that care has just just gone in the mm. moment like there uh it's when the typhons turn up the the what are they called the the, the ones that can do fire columns uh weavers oh no no they're 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 kind of figures um do you mean a phantom type? Phantom or? type, yeah. Uh, but they, yeah, I just, just thermal I have phantoms, fucking I problems with them. They just, I have problems with fucking poltergeists. Oh, dickheads, yeah. Physics damage is just random. <laughs> Physical yeah, yeah. You, it rolls yeah. a dice and that's how much damage it does. Yeah. Time big dice as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't shoot them because they keep disappearing and they keep taking your weapon out of your hands. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they've apart added, from that, it's fucking good. They've added so much stuff. Um, yeah. So there's, this is in the base game as well now, but um, uh, when you get injured, there's different traumas you can have. I had one where every time I jump, I lose 10 health. <laughs> I never learned. <laughs> uh, it can't, it can't kill you. So it only takes you to one health at, at uh, minimum. But, um, and also you, you self repair to 20 health. At least my current character did. I don't know if that's true for everyone. Um, so I would, I was on 20 health and then I would just jump and then go, oh, and then I go to the blood <laughs> on my stumbled. screen. That's how I feel about real jumping. <laughs> <laughs> and then you lose a bit of health when you land as well. So it's like, oh, oh my ankle. <laughs> and also if you sprint, you lose like five health a second. <laughs> what? Yeah. So this is sort of like um, physical. So you, you can only get those repaired by special, like there'll be a particular kit like for a that trauma jumping kit, one. Yeah. Um, and it'll oh, only fix that one thing. That's there's, what there's a skeletal. Kit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. That skeleton repair one would have done for me. I think, I think my skeleton was in trouble. <laughs> I no idea. I keep I finding them. Right because yeah. you can't use them if you, they're just, it's totally yeah. unusable. Sorry, you can also, stop, but I'm your doctor and it's my duty to tell you, you've got bad skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad until it'll be good again. Uh, a medical operator will fix all of those things for free. Um, and so I actually I started looking at the map for once and figuring out okay the trauma center that sounds like where I need to go with my broken legs <laughs> um, I'd like the map to 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 remain revealed between runs because I keep kind of getting well, oh, between... you see the you think but it's not marked with the stuff I don't think right. I could be going wrong it's just like come on <laughs> 
Is that between this. characters or between simulations? Between simulation, between simulation restarts. Okay. restarts I think. Yeah, I presume it's different when you restarts. No, not. But everything's in the you know like uh, really? the trauma center is still the trauma center because huh. the, the the entire physical space is completely the same every run. We should probably know. Yeah, it's not room based in that way. It's, yeah, it's yeah. just items will be different in the in the cases. It's a lovely cases designed moon based. Yeah. base. It is nice. So it looks it nice. nice I mean, obviously, prey look nice, but it feels yeah. So good looking moon. Yeah. There's a grenade that makes a tentacle come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's glue grenades now. There's glue turrets, um, and yeah, there seems to be like. For every damage type, they've now got a grenade. What is the use of the, ga- the grenade that makes a tentacle come out? Uh, the tentacle hits things. Oh. <laughs> I I wanted to see it in action, and I, I wasn't able to because I was attacked by a, a phantom and a mimic, and I decided to just throw the tentacle grenade at them and shut the door. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the score system informed me that the mimic had died. <laughs> and then when I opened the, the gate, the phantom, uh, I think, had left, and the tentacle was just despawning at that time. So I didn't see what it did to them exactly. But... It's presumably like the, because there's a Typhon kind of, um, like enemy that, that is just tentacles that come out of a pod thing. Yeah. Is that new as well? Yeah. I think so. I haven't seen it before. Yeah. God, I hate those fucking, um, cyst things. Yeah. Me yeah. Too. It's like, they just take one damage, <laughs> but I don't know. I can't find any way to kill them. It doesn't consume ammo, but they're not. If they seem so trivial, you can shoot them once and they'll, and the explosion from one will take the others. Yeah, I haven't found that always works. No, no it doesn't always work. They're just idiots. <laughs> Idiot bastards. <laughs> so we should name all the monsters in prey. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I do like that the, uh, I don't know if it's their preferred method or the method you're challenged to do with each character seems to fit their personality in some mm. way. So like the scientist wants to upload their consciousness to escape and then the security officer wants to I think fire himself from a cannon <laughs> like, it just says escape by mass driver <laughs> well yeah. can I only think of one way a cannon to let me escape <laughs> <laughs> I like that they are we've got the magic guy we've got the fixie one like uh, let's have the one with all the, the guns <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of them is a, a like a rogue you sibling I think yeah, but it looks the things as well. Huh. Which is fun. And that, that's the director slash scientist, um, and they also have the stealth abilities. Interestingly, so I'm going to like them. Oh, okay, mm. so like a director, so they, they a lot of their skills relate to doing re- memos and <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. bureaucracy, <laughs> uh, like science and uh, being an executive of a company. And also alien magic are all kind of the same skill set in Bray. <laughs> yeah, that, that is sort of like almost like a family kind of uh, behavior pattern as well. Yeah. Like, you know, corporate management, science, turn into a cup. It actually <laughs> makes me wish um, that, you know, you have the, your manner is called Psi as in PSI. Mm. I kind of wish they just called it SCI. <laughs> this is your science juice. <laughs> I'm going to use these science abilities with some of my science. Oh, I'm out of science. I need a science operator. <laughs> But yeah, it's dead good. Um, I was, uh, cause I, um, I, 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 you know, no, 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 no. I was, um, <laughs> I need to learn how to talk. Uh, last, last week I couldn't read. This week I can't talk, which is more serious. Um, no, cause you guys are playing and I, you know, it's, it's a 13 pound expansion and that is the exact price point for these kinds of things where I get a bit worried because mm. that can mean almost anything in mm. games. Like, you know, 20 pounds plus you expect something that looks substantial yeah unless it's a five pounds one. can be anything from some hats to a brilliant little map pack or something you know you know i guess maybe 
it's so variable across the board, but 13 quid particularly is like out of pure dabble range. If this turned out to be just what I thought it was really, which was like a replayable moon arena where you mm. fight enemies from prey. Yeah, I figured again. that it would be a set of rooms. It would just be sort of reconfigured every time. Yeah. Like combat encounters. Like oh, I liked prey systems, but do I really want to do that? That kind of thing. And so when you guys both sort of said like, it's great. I felt capable of going in and, 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 you know, putting money down for it. Um, and now I'm really impressed. Now it's like, oh wow, this is, you know, I, I want, I want someone to make a whole game built around this idea. Not that it isn't, but you know what I mean? I, I kind of want this to have been prey from the start yeah. to some extent. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, and that's a very, very pleasant surprise. But yeah, I can, um, it does, it does feel like they haven't fully explained what it actually is. Yeah. If that's reasonable. Hopefully yeah, we have now. Yeah, but, it didn't yeah. come to me. Um, I think it's because I didn't really read about it very well. I, could, I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> I tried. You wouldn't fucking tell me. Yeah. Or it was just sounded confusing. Yeah. It is, yeah, there are basically three different levels of persistence slash resetting. You know, there's like character persistence and there's simulation persistence and then there's overall persistence. And so it is tough to explain without just giving a shitload of examples. And to, and to understand the prey thing of kind of finding alternative routes and finding links between this place and that place and exploiting them and, mm. you know, and then the immersion stuff like it. Yeah. If it's it, though, that, like it's a big new hub with like five major areas that, you know, all with their own look, I think I would have had a totally different picture in my head. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is if you're thinking about getting it, um, I recommend. Uh, firing up Prey itself since the update to check that the controls haven't completely broken for you because they had for me. <laughs> They've added Steam controller support and it, uh, I usually play with a gamepad, but even if I didn't want to play with a gamepad, the controls are just totally fucked up for me since the update. Um, where it was telling me to press, like to, to reset controls to default, so I had to press the consume button. <laughs> I could just say press <laughs> consume. Like, what the fuck is the consume button? Yeah, that on I wish my I had keyboard that. or my controller. Um, so basically all the, all the like control links have been replaced with like steam, steam controller <laughs> keywords. It's um, one of the steam controller keywords consume. <laughs> it's they're per game. So they're set oh, right. by <laughs> potentially users. And so, you know, eating something through your inventory, the button for yeah. that is oh, a right. special okay, control. Fine. It's like, um, hold your thumbprints to the consume button. And enjoy <laughs> steam. This is functionality we'll be releasing in steam. Yeah. In the steam Cronenberg edition. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it eventually mostly solved it by going through the 18 step process on their Steam forums because they're aware of this. And oh, has it happened to other people? Yeah, it's happened to a lot of people. Uh, in the main game and in Mooncrash, there's a separate fact for Mooncrash for all the ways it can fuck up in that. Um, and Xbox controller support used to work perfectly in Prey. I played the whole game with that and it was fine. Uh, now they've supported Steam controllers. They've moved the other controller support onto the Steam controller system. So it's emulating. It's actually emulating a mouse, which is horrible. Uh. So all this came about because when I fired it up, it worked, but uh, aiming was like it would take five seconds to turn around. Like it was absurdly slow and like you can't change. I also couldn't use the menus at all because it was telling me to press consume. <laughs> um, and eventually found out, oh, it's, it's the right stick is now emulating a mouse and you have to separately set the sensitivity of that mouse in the Steam controller settings. And Oof. you can't access the Steam controller settings unless you're in big picture mode. So you have to like get out of your desktop and be in big picture mode and navigate to that. And then um, also the game doesn't work at all for me unless I disable the Steam overlay. So I can't do this while the game is running. I have to 
like I at first I thought I had to quit out and restart it to change the sensitivity and then I discovered oh no it's okay I can alt tab back to Steam then lo- tell Steam to go into big picture mode which takes over the whole computer then change the sensitivity then quit out of big picture mode and go back into Prey and then the sensitivity has changed and I've just now got it working but I was like so close to just giving up on this whole fucking thing if it wasn't an immersive sim plus roguelike I would have given up on it <laughs> also it's uh, it, while we're getting into the things that are annoying it's annoying that you have to load Prey and then load Moon Crash when they're obviously... Do you not diff- get the little dialogue come up? I haven't been getting that. Oh, I got it that. didn't come up for me last night, actually, now I come to think of it, because I was confused oh, yeah. as to why... So should you get a launch Prey or launch Moon Crash yeah. dialogue box? Oh, I've just been getting... I'm launching Prey and then clicking launch Moon Crash but and they're different executables. There may have been an update yesterday because... Well, it's working for me I today. Get- oh, okay. Good. Okay. But I did have a weird thing right after I bought it where uh, Moon Crash... I was, I was just launched straight to Prey and the only link I had was to buy Moon Crash, even though I already owned it. And it took like later that evening it finally popped up and realized i owned it huh hmm, hmm. Pray, it's a weird pray thing launched with some odd kind of <laughs> it did yeah things as well hmm. mm, well it's not called moon completely functional Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, good i just wanted to mention another game i've been playing yeah sure very briefly because uh, i haven't really played enough of it. i played quite a few hours of it but i don't feel ready to <laughs> talk about it especially since it's not even on pc yet but um if you've played king of dragon pass um which is a venerable texty story narrative rpg management game uh that came out oh, i don't know quite a few years ago now mm. Uh, in which you play um, the leader of a tribe. Um, a follow-up has been released called Six Ages, and it's on iOS at the moment. It might be on Android. I'm not sure. I think it might be just iOS with a, a PC version planned. And I just wanted to say that I've been playing it because um, I think you should probably be quite interested in it for when it comes out on PC because uh, it is a lot... The original was quite janky to play i was kind of put off by just how i didn't really understand the interface and things and it was all a bit ugly it is now pretty and works really nicely and you have a you know you you manage a tribe which is moved to a new land um having uh their you know after their the civilization that they came from uh having been destroyed so they've all gone on a, on a kind of a what's the word a exodus mm. a, a journey to find new place to live so you're all in this kind of grassland basically uh and um trying to establish yourself with all these other tribes alongside you and it's very very dynamic very you know you at any point in the game you can send emissaries to talk to the tribes next door or you can Build, do a ritual and build um, a, a, a temple to a god, which will confer to your tribe certain advantages. Um, whether developing your weapons, you can go raid other tribes. You can, you can, you can sort of set grand plans, such as building uh, your your tribal hall and things like that. Everything helps out, but there are only certain things that are good for you at any time. But then, underpinning all this is a very, very rich lore. Uh, legends and things which um which which are don't i don't think they're generated i think they are written um but they're very in-depth and very very legendy like <laughs> very like sort of 
suggestive and strange and all about interpretation. And you will need to interpret them because there are events that will happen to you as you play, as you you send out somebody that progresses time on an emissary, you know, send them out as an emissary to another tribe that advances time. And then a picture will turn up and then some text with multiple choices to what you do about it. And sometimes your knowledge of the law will help you make the right decision. Um, which, you know, and again, it's suggestive, like it's not dictatorial about this stuff. Um, and there's rarely the best response. There are some better than others, but, um, it's really open and interesting. And, uh, there in my first playthrough, uh, a, a story may be starting to emerge, like one that's kind of going to be defining what's happening um, because I'm getting attacked by these kind of like demonic kind of tribes that have appeared. It's really interesting, uh, but I haven't played enough to really say much more about it until, you know. Mm. It's on iOS at the moment, right? iOS for now. Mm. Cool. Rad. I missed King of Dragon Pass and everyone keeps telling me I should play it. So maybe I won't. <laughs> I'm kind of tempted to go back to it to see whether whether my kind of distaste for its, its <laughs> UI was maybe a bit unfair now I know how to play it yeah, the thing I've actually um, been playing speaking of going back to things um, with that in mind is I went I've gone back to Pillars of Eternity which I threatened to do a couple of months ago now or like a month ago because uh, I really want to play Dreadfire and so I'm playing the first one obviously and I'm almost back to where I was originally yeah thanks do you know how far through the game that was? Um, like 40 hours, something. <laughs> but what I'm finding is I, I'm finding myself, and I've played a lot of CRPGs in my time, but I found myself approaching this particular run in a different way that I previously, where I've basically gone away and read up on how all the systems work. Because now Pills of Eternity has been picked over enough that people really, really, really know how to build, you know, how to build parties and things for the super hard difficulty levels to play as a game, right? So I learned that, and I'd never really bothered to learn it before. And I'm not playing at a difficulty level that requires it. But it's allowed me to kind of set my own difficulty level in a way where I'm like playing on a difficulty level where the fights are interesting, but with a kind of overpowered knowledge of how characters work and how to kind of like proper maximize a character. And for some reason, I found that really gratifying. I don't know what particular thing it is. It's like it's more satisfying than simply playing on everyone explodes when you touch them difficulty, the sort of story mode only difficulty, because you engage with the systems a little bit because you're kind of executing this machine more efficiently. But it's definitely filled some sort of gap in the experience for me that now I know that my party is like pretty much as effective as it can be. And it shortens a lot of distances because I don't spend myself myself worrying about how to upgrade my character. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds, it sounds really stupid. Maybe it's really obvious, but like taking the time to fully understand how the stats work means that I now instantly know what to sell out of what I've got. And that's as someone who is a very fussy RPG player who reads everything and spends ages in town, it's cut down so much of the experience that I don't, that I'm not worrying about that stuff. Don't know why it's helped quite so much, but it's been really kind of breezy. And then I'm playing it as a game where like, I just play like an adventure. I do a quest and then that's it for the day kind of thing. But doing an hour a day and kind of treating it as like a little project to get through this big thing has been really entertaining because I've not been binging it and getting tired of it, but nor have I been kind of like leaving it to one side and, and losing momentum. I think between those things, sort of like pacing myself, but also really understanding the systems and being able to move things through things a little bit quicker as a result, I've managed to avoid big town problems mm. uh, to an extent that I haven't managed in any game like this, I think, for ages. So that's actually been really nice. Like, I don't want to dig into the game itself too much because it's Pillars of Eternity and people know what that's like, I think. But 
but yeah, it's just like, oh, this is a really, you know, like a hobby now, like, you know, chipping away at it hour by hour, which I've realized is actually exactly how our friend and former PC game production editor Tony Ellis plays these games. And I finally come around to it after years. <laughs> like, yeah, just treat it as a book where you read like a chapter, 10 pages a night yeah. and eventually you'll finish it. Yeah. You know, it's good. Yeah, there's like a nice, like, a, I've been playing uh, Yakuza Zero at the same time, and mm. obviously that's on PS4, but, um, it's, it's coming PC, out on PC, it's coming to PC, yeah. And that is divided into chapters, and they are a, a nice length, like, you can get through a chapter in a session, and you feel like, okay, I felt I've made some progress, because you know this is, a, has that same vast feeling as yeah, it yeah. because you, like, you just don't know when it's going to end, but bring back chapters. Chapters are good. Chapters, maybe there's a reason why chapters <laughs> became a thing. Mm. It's nice to be told you're allowed to stop now. Yeah. Also, the good thing about Moon Crash, you die or something. There's like loads of clear breakpoints. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Rather than just like, I guess this is progress. Like, getting killed is kind of a snap point for me. So I'm like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But nonetheless, like, this is sort yes. of like letting players, telling players that it's okay for them to stop now rather than waiting for them to get tired yeah. or bored. Is probably really good for yeah. getting people to come back. Maybe yeah. that's some like sort of hidden secret of why roguelikes became so popular again. Maybe that's part of it. It's like they're really, it's really obvious when you're allowed to stop playing. Same with say the spy. Well, yeah, that's exactly the same as say the spy. <laughs> what that it's obvious when to stop yeah. playing? Yeah, I found that I often want to stop playing before I can. It's, it's <laughs> what, I mean, you can, you can just quit. It's very good at saving say, progress. Says, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I'll complete a whole act. And because they give you something right then and there that, and you think intensely about how it's going to affect your build right after you choose it, you want to see, was I right? Is this going to work? Is this plan? I can't quit then and there. So I feel I have to play a whole run all in one session. Um, and sometimes when I do quit, it's, it's when I've lost engagement. I'll get to a certain point and I'll, um, I'll either see, Oh, this build I haven't died yet, but this build isn't going to work. It's not going to, it's not going to mm. stand up to the harder enemies. So I just quit. Um, or sometimes I've had it where like, this is working. It's fine. I don't want to play it anymore. <laughs> and I don't know if that's, um, cause I've played it a lot now. Um, and you're so like, you're getting that kind of just min max. Well, not min max is probably, you know, but it's that feeling like, okay, I, I can feel the wind blowing and it's not. Yeah. The question of like, will I win or not doesn't feel massively interesting to me anymore. Um, it's much more about like the ones I get excited about are the decks are like, Oh my God, this one's just insane. I can kill anything on turn one or, or that kind of thing. Just need bigger and bigger fixes. More and more damage per turn. <laughs> Hundred damage per turn needs to be deep. enough for me. Now I need five hundred. <laughs> but yeah, that that also might be partly because I got what I wanted in terms of I used to complain I had too much randomness, and now they've added a custom game mode where uh, I talked on the last podcast briefly about um, you could enter special seeds that unlock certain modes. They've just made that into a mode now where you just check boxes to say I want to pick all the cards I get. Um, Huh. and it is really good but now it has raised my standards for how good a deck needs to be before i get excited about the prospect of it being successful or not built up a resistance yeah <laughs> on the other hand i've played it for like a hundred hours so it's not really surprising <laughs> that it's starting to lose some of its charm should we do some questions yes good let's do that all right first question comes from simon who writes dear cnc what are your thoughts on whether publications credit journalists for their work do you feel empowered to give harsher criticism when writing anonymously, knowing that you'll never be attributed to the review or article? Is it harder to get work as a journalist if your work is not credited? Regards, Simon. Just a little pause of attention there, although you knew what his name was already. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, so I 
got my break writing anonymously. And if that sounds like a contradiction in terms, well, <laughs> thanks for that, Alex. <laughs> so, sorry about that, Chris. <laughs> right. uh, my first, yeah, my first published game journalism was in, uh, well, it, well, I can't tell you where it was, obviously. Um, because it could never be known. It, my first contributions <laughs> to the, to the craft of games criticism, uh, were consumed and emanated out of a block of, like it's just game smooth obsidian. um the, yeah sort of, yeah like a single uh imperceptibly deep shiny obelisk that simply emerges from a building in bath and honks a number every now and then and then you know if the game is good or bad and then my my start was telling the obelisk how good indie games were but unfortunately i couldn't tell anyone else that i'd done that um because that, those those are the terms of my agreement with the obelisk so this was like back, <laughs> back in the early social media days. Yeah. Like it was, it was very, like, I remember all the kind of like, oh, such and such freelancer has, has said that they wrote something for us. How dare they? And, Someone uh, told me off once for sort of saying, I was really pleased that I got to write something for Edge magazine. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I, I think you said what it was. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, the silence must never be broken. Yeah, even I mean, you have a like there's a credits panel. Yeah, isn't there a mastered? Yeah, there's a final panel. Yeah, but it's but it doesn't say who wrote what. That's true, but I didn't say what I'd written. I just said I was in the magazine. <laughs> but, Maybe there was a the fear that you were, there was at the top of the slope and you were yeah yeah careening down it. <laughs> yeah, the rest of it going down a dangerous path, Dustin. <laughs> uh, to I, identifying <laughs> what you'd. I genuinely on. and always will admire that attitude because it is the opposite of how youtube and you could argue almost all web media functions yeah. it is the antithesis of it right like not big picture of my face in front of the video game on the thumbnail it's like the opposite of angry joe is <laughs> angry edge <laughs> and the obelisk says <laughs> no <laughs> I think there is there is definitely space in there. Like I I feel mm. comfortable writing for Edge because of that because because I can say things and not have it stick to me, you know, like <laughs> and believe in it, but kind of not want to have to deal with 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 people just disagreeing. I think that's, <laughs> that to me is more of a factor of writing for print than writing for the yeah, web. Well, in the old days, we'd be we'd we'd be on. Gaff and Roma. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, forums forums. That's endlessly. Like, that's of... slightly different, though. Like the you, you can get. It's not about not having people disagree with you or, or having. People, it's that comments specifically yeah. um, are a particular form of just sort of horrible shit. Really, like it's it's never you know. Occasionally, you get you know a, a good, well reasoned, well argued, and polite critique of the thing you've written, and that's you should be able to you know absorb that mm. but most of the time it's the sort of angry knee-jerk responses of people who don't know why they were forced to read this because it showed up in their facebook feed and they clicked on it or they or they may you know they they haven't read it and they haven't read it or whatever it is right yeah. so um yeah like writing for writing for print exclusively is more freeing than writing for the web is but that even then that's only a comfort thing it's not a what you'll actually say like i'd never give a different score or anything like no that. No, but I, you know, but it's beyond not wanting to cause it just, 
things don't come back on you in the same way. Like with Edge, we there was a sensation that kind of like because it was the magazine's voice, kind of mm. the obelisk, sort of. You had a weight behind, you know. Yeah, it meant, yeah. It meant that obelisk that got your back. If you, made, if you made a statement, <laughs> you would have to to justify it within. I think that when you when you write these days for for websites because it's pinned to your name you can say what you like and often the website won't really question you on it like you know they won't often you'll be sort of just allowed to say things yeah yeah uh and because it because it's your opinion and that's fine with edge there was a sense that kind of you were representing the magazine but then that the you'd have the magazine supporting you because they agreed with you you know they would trust in you there was yeah yeah there's a real contract there in its best cases anyway mm. like there, there there are loads of problems with that of course as well yeah notably the fact that like he'd stunted your freelance career surely <laughs> well it was like i mean it was funny when i finally got into the office work doing sort of busy work for pc gamer initially and sort of people like have you done any kind of writing before? And it's like looking over at the edge team <laughs> where you guys are sat like, yeah, but I can't say for who point. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't that precious within, you know, not within, within the office, future, no, not at all, but yeah, <laughs> no, but yeah, like, um, I was going to say like, should we do another question? But then I realized that I'm the questions man. <laughs> and you guys are all waiting on me to find a different question. And I'm doing it right now. And that question comes from, diffraction man who writes to say hello all i tend to struggle a lot speaking clearly and i'm always fumbling over words so hearing a tipsy chris read out my question last pod was very authentic (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) listeners that can barely read or speak will enjoy every performance i give um uh i thought on the loot box hang on fuck (laughs) here we go (laughs) stumbling all over i'm just trying to get cadence I thought on the loot box discussion from a few pods back and how in most games, random loot systems are the only way to get what you want, be it cosmetic hats or MMO loot. So what game systems have you seriously engaged with, despite knowing that they were awful systems? Systems where the data on how much people engage with them are about as reliable as a dictator's voter turnout. All the best. Diffracti. I mean, I think... What system bad, but nice? Awful (laughs) is probably not what I'd describe destiny's systems as but i definitely felt like i was being led on a dance but i kind of enjoyed that <laughs> you know and, and the kind of like the sort of a sense of elation at getting a an exotic or or mm. a very minor upgrade to a gun that caused no difference to how it felt or looked or anything <laughs> uh uh like i i subsumed into it until the spell broke and then suddenly i'd never played it again yeah so, yeah I guess actually I had that with Diablo, um, mm. all the Diablos, but um, uh, most recently Diablo 3, where finding an item that just like does 1.6 more DPS than your 3000 DPS axe is like, oh my God, this is better. This is amazing. This is better. This is actually got something better. And then of course, you know, if that stat wasn't there, I didn't tell you how much damage it did. You tried it out. <laughs> there's no way any human on earth could tell that it was any different. <laughs> Yeah, there's that kind of because especially since Diablo's numbers kind of they f- they fly out of stuff, but they're randomised and th- and they they're on the screen for such a short amount of time, you'll never see like you just know the that there are numbers. That's numbers. nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder actually if it got more or less addictive since they summarized it. Because Diablo 3, it really boils it down. It's just on, in general, you'll be doing about 10% more damage if you equip this. You'll lose some strength, but you'll gain some DPS and you'll do more damage versus zombies and zombies are this percentage of enemies. And like it's doing a lot of calculations behind the scenes to just estimate that stuff. And that makes those decisions really easy. It's very quick to decide. It's just, oh, this does more damage, but I have less defense. Fine, I'll do it. Um, but maybe back in the old days where you had to kind of figure that stuff out, maybe some of the magic was in that uncertainty of like, oh, I think, look at the damage. It's just the raw damage. It's just so much damage per hit. And yes, it's less hits per mm. second, but it seems exciting. You kind of suppose the thing, the kind of the, the Diablo 3 thing of doing the, the rift dungeons and, and increasing your the difficulty level because you just feel your way through it. Like, you know, oh, let's try a higher difficulty level and you kind of tentatively go through. And I, 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 it's like putting your finger into hot, uh, your thumb, your, your big toe. <laughs> let's go, go through Put all the your Putting your foot thumb into the... <laughs> Put your nose in there into like a hot bath and you go I can take this I can take this like that's like I quite like that feel basedness of of, um, Diablo Mm. Mm. yeah I think my answer to this is inevitably like um, Dota battle passes and things which are paid for tickets to a system where you can get more paid for things basically like buying a ticket to a raffle that is full of itself, <laughs> full of raffles. Um, and cascades and cascades. Yeah, and it's raffles. like, yeah, the babushka doll of raffles. And <laughs> yeah, you can lay that all out why that's bad, but actually buying things is nice. And, and, and have you considered? And, and, yeah, have you considered what if late capitalism was just sort of fun <laughs> and you just sort of, it, it was empty. But you bought yourself a little treat and then you're like, oh, I'll buy a few more boxes and get some hats. And you're like, this is worthless. But what is anything worth? <laughs> worth really? I've been entertained for 48 seconds as the little men span around revealing what hat I actually got. And what price can you put on that? $2.99. And um, that's fine, actually, is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I mean, no, actually, more seriously, there's... um. I think in terms of in assessing whether or not, you know, there's a separate consideration, which is that I think uh, for better or worse, retail therapy is a real thing. And so a lot of these systems that are sort of abusive on the surface and certainly are bad in that they can, you know, uh, play to addictive tendencies and things and people can end up harming themselves by spending far too much on them. I think it's, uh, I think it's incorrect, however, to say that there isn't a sort of fundamental appeal to those things, to collecting, to spending, to to having having the object, even if it's a virtual object that you didn't previously have, yeah. and obviously that's how they get you. That's the mechanism by which you are got. But then you did spend, you know, hundred hours over the past month or whatever yeah. playing the game for free. I think maybe this is the thing more than anything else with those systems. It highlights to me how utterly divorced from any kind of conceivable system or structure or scaffold the value of what you pay yeah. money for has become like no longer do you spend there is no particularly with games there is no there is no meaningful sense of how much a video game is right the most popular game in the world is free but makes huge amounts of money from nowhere <laughs> like you know like it's if you, you if you if i say was this worth the cost of a book you probably have a sense of how much that is the cost of a game, although if you are of a certain generation, maybe your mind goes to that sort of 40, 45 pound point. 
the vast majority of games you play are not that. There's no, it's not connected to anything. Yeah, it's, it? oh, it's gone insane. It's like that, that, that thing of, you know, you, you, you buy a, a game on iOS for 99p, but like somehow that's okay that it's 15 quid yeah. on, on, on And then, and to this you apply like the cost in terms of your data that you're getting, like, you know, the sort of, the, the, the payment you're making is in terms of your time, whether or not you're providing multiplayer opponents for players that do spend money and therefore you are paying for yourself in that way, yeah. or whether they're simply harvesting things about you and using that to improve the experience for people who will spend money or to make you spend money. Like, I think it's cool that that's happened. Like, it's, it's <laughs> in some way, <laughs> it's, it's sizzling takes Francis. It's cool. This is good though. I like it. <laughs> Have you considered? Maybe it's just cool. <laughs> no, go on. Unpack what I was going to say was that, uh, comparing to like books and films, it, like one of the reasons the prices of those things are so steady is because you just get the same thing every time. It's like, it's, the movie, it's an hour and a half. Maybe it's up to three hours, but when it is, people kind of bitch. Oh, fucking, that's three hours, really? <laughs> and if it's, you know, less than an hour and a half, it's like, oh, it's a bit short. And then games, oh yeah, people do bitch, but we've successfully established a, a culture where it's just accepted that games are radically different things to each other and yeah, yeah. how much yeah. you, their worth is different. And we do argue about it, but the fact that there is a, you know, very steady and um, successful market for things that cost $10 and a very steady and successful market for things that cost $60 um, and they coexist is, it just shows how different games are. Yeah, it's like what is at once kind of extremely sort of distinct and creatively liberating about the medium, which is its lack of distinctness. No one knows what the fuck a game is, basically. Um, is also a source of like almost cosmic peril <laughs> when it comes to how much money you can be tricked into giving away and, and what economies, like unfathomable economies that you can enter into without even really knowing what you're consenting to. Where? Just, it's like this, this, this dream that you just get into this kind of eternal dream. I always of- kind of, I, I don't have the rest of this story, but I really like the idea of like a end user license agreement as a form of like cyberpunk necronomicon. Like you're, <laughs> you're entering into some kind of pact, but you really don't know what it is. You know what I mean? Like, because you don't have time to pass it. Nobody does. And the document has been written with that in mind yeah. that like you don't want to read this. Like, yeah, it's like a mechanism within a legal framework that it has to exist, but it's also an opportunity to trick you into giving something away. It's crazy. It's it's fascinating, but also horrifying. Or quite, just quite but, and then, or cool. And then the wizard spins around, <laughs> and then, oh no, you didn't get the one you wanted, but if you buy a new chest, you're guaranteed to get something you don't have. And you never play this character, but you got this cool hat for them now. So maybe you'll give them a go, and your life has been meaningfully improved in at least that way. Just for a sliver of time. Ah, good. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> the next question uh, comes from Sean, who writes, Hi, CNC. Recently, there was an article on the PC Gamers site about Fortnite making loads of money. While this in itself wasn't that surprising, what shocked me is that there were no less than three Korean or Chinese games that beat out Fortnite in terms of the global PC revenue. I spent a large chunk of my day researching said games and being amazed how I had zero knowledge of them at all beforehand. Am I just ignorant? Or have any of you been in a situation where a game passes you by completely, but it's actually the biggest thing in the world? Cheers. Sean. So I can say, I mean, I've, I've spoken about a bunch, but like I was in China almost a year ago and my experience in China of the Chinese games industry and going to China Joy, which is the biggest games expo in, in China, was, oh shit, China's real big. 
<laughs> like, and that sounds really dumb and pat, but it's mm. real. It's very true, and mm. like you can, you know, you can appreciate the that fact in abstract, but being seeing it and realizing that this whole ecosystem for games and whole uh, market for an audience for games that is vastly bigger in a lot of ways than the one we operate within and has a very little crossover, like very few games making that transition from China to... Mm. It's interesting. I, I, I spoke to somebody just today because I'm writing a, a piece about, um, about uh, a fund which is sort of trying to cross, you know, to, to, to fund games that, that, that in part uh, translate to... Um, uh, Jap- uh, Chinese markets as well as Western, you know, as Western ones. And apparently things are changing in Japan, uh, Japan, China, where, uh, in the past they've been kind of fueled by freemium and a lot of piracy. Mm. But now, uh, people are earning a lot more money. Premium games, standard kind of, you know, buy, put a load of money down once and you own it mm. is apparently growing and tastes are surprisingly similar to, to, they found in a study that they they did that the tastes between general French gamers and German gamers was larger than between general uh, uh, Chinese gamers and American gamers. Yeah, <laughs> that, that itself doesn't surprise me because, you like you know, there's a huge market for Assassin's Creed despite yeah. it being banned. That was the yeah. stat. Yeah. that I like the most. Like, it's like the third biggest market for that game in the world, despite the fact that you can't buy it there. <laughs> um, which is just to point out that, like, simply being sold on a grey market kind of back channel in China is bigger than being sold in Germany. Like, you know, there's that's the scale of difference. But it's the existence of these games that maybe, maybe that's the other point, is that it's the existence of games that are massive in China or massive in, in East Asia generally that simply don't get released over here. And that's a bigger topic. Like mm. why, like, you know, you know, I talked about, I think talking, going over there and seeing the Chinese version of Torchlight, uh, where there's some changes made for free to play and, and to sort of incorporate it into that ecosystem. Uh, but it's there in a sort of, I think it was there in a, uh, 10 cent booth or, or, you know, a, a perfect world booth alongside lots of other Chinese games and things that sort of fit in, but you never, you almost never see it the other way around. You never see, you know, there's not a section of E3 given over to the latest Chinese games to come over. And I think that says I don't feel qualified to, to weigh in on all of the factors that lead into that, though I guess it's some of them. But, like, that's a sort of interesting thing. Not so much why do these games exist and we pass them by or how the tastes change, but why, you know, why is the industry constructed in such a way or why is taste constructed in such a way that the reverse isn't true, if that makes sense. Mm. <laughs> maturation like my kind of uninformed sort of cool take on it would be like at the moment you've got uh an enormous market for games in china but not an mm. enormous amount of supply within china that's like, true yeah you know whereas you know because the development of games kind of as a large sort of industry hasn't been the case mm. for very long where you know over here it's you know in the west in america and europe it's been and and, Ch- and japan has has it's been there for a, a while and there's a sort of you know work practices and stylistic choices and like there's lots of ability to kind of export something that's very but like yeah i i suspect it will turn around quite rapidly 
like, and things will start flowing the other way, mm. which would be cool. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose that plays into the fact that there was, uh, you know, I think China had close to 15 years of an extremely protectionist attitude towards the industry specifically, sorry, <clears throat> when it came to like consoles being banned, for example. So mm. therefore no game development being taken. And they said they're, they're still consoles. censored now. So if you want to make a game and put it out in, in, in China, you will go have to go through a censorship pass. And yes. Yeah. And has to be made. Yeah. Like, I suppose that does affect then what gets exported yeah. naturally as well. But yeah, so the question was specifically like, are there any particular games that we have yeah. sort of completely missed? To be honest, like Fortnite's the one for me at the moment. Like I play a decent amount of PUBG and for some reason I've never got around to playing Fortnite. Yeah, I don't know why. I've, I've I bear it no ill same. will. And the fact no, that, you know, my, like, you know, my Switch is just sitting there and I could just download it and play it. But I just, you know. And your PS4. Like it's everywhere. Like there's no, not, but never you're, both. you're holding a phone which it works on too. You know, that's like, true. Yeah. There's not, there's no escape from it. And yet here we are. <laughs> it is, um, it's, it's come up recently in conversations with non-gaming friends and it's, it's interesting really interesting to me that this is the thing that is pushing Minecraft out of mm. that spot. Like, you know, I mean, I remember this from 10, 15 years ago. No one could imagine the game that would unseat World of Warcraft in the, <laughs> the most, you know, the thing everybody, everybody plays and talks about. And then Minecraft exists and you can never conceive of what the next thing is before it exists. And having had years of Minecraft's like absolute hegemony over the minds of under 15s, for it to be replaced with a bolt-on battle royale mode attached to a last-ditch zombie survival game made by the people who made Gears of War is like, you know. But that's like the 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 the, the quiet, like we sort of mentioned earlier on, but like uh, in the break there. But it's, um, the there's a nice mirror of the fact that there's this kind of quiet kind of Minecraft successor that is enormous and never really gets talked about like oh right yeah. yeah like which is roblox yeah that's the one which is all really... about like bolting like one thing to another thing and creating a like, some multiplayer game that kind of if you happens. if you turn around now and told me that you made a roblox up it's a fictional game you just invented it <laughs> yeah. i would think like oh there must have been like two or three people in on that because i've heard about it from <laughs> i think two other people other than you other than that it's just totally off my radar but apparently it's the biggest thing ever. It's, yeah, it's like island of kind of, yeah, but I, uh, sort of wrote a couple of kind of, a book about to start another book for Roblox players, like as guides to games. And, and in doing that, I've been playing the games and I find them extraordinary. Like here's a, here's a tip. Like if you're, if you're an, a developer and you want an idea for a game to make, cause you, and you want to make it big. And I don't understand why developers aren't doing this. You just look on the t- the, the Ro- Roblox top charts, right? It's easy to do. You look at that chart, you play a few of those games. Like those multiplayer games are what you should be making now. Like, like the, the, I don't understand, for instance, why there isn't a premium version of like the tycoon genre. Like this is the tycoon mm. genre is where you run around and you build a thing, which then makes like, squares because roblox is roblox and it doesn't really generate anything other than squares like little squares start going down a conveyor belt and then that generates you money and then after a time you can then build it's basically a clicker game but physicalized you're building these elements of your clicker game Mm. in an environment but then hell let's 
situate it on the moon and other players can kill you. So like, you know, you have a PvP player while you manage your tycoon game. And this is the future that liberals like, want. <laughs> yeah. And then you build a spaceship at, the, at some point and you can go up to a planet above you, which is like, and it's, it's a bit like, uh, like a 1950s sci-fi film where the mm. planet is like this sort of thing on the beta string. Like the planet is right next to where you are basically, but you need a spaceship to go up there and the, and the flight model is janky. If this stuff was made to feel nice and it worked properly and it was balanced and stuff, like it's why the hell hasn't anybody What's made that, it? Um, satisfactory game. That's oh, a, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a like Infinity Factory, but more gamey yeah. and a, in a open world type thing where That's you go very, out and gather resources. Very Roblox in thing, but much I don't know more if it's ambitious. multiplayer though. I don't know if you can have other people get, fucking with your point. shit. I think there were people working together on it, but I hmm. don't think it was PvP. Yeah. But I, that could be wrong about that because I only saw the trailer once. But yeah, Roblox is extraordinary. Really. And people make careers from Roblox, right? They've- yeah, you can, you can, you, 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 the, it's freemiumed up to the eyeballs, like, which is the terrifying thing because it's, um, it's little kids playing it and to play on Roblox is to be constantly assailed with, with, do you want, you know, this, this mode, this clothing, this, this everything uh isn't available to you it costs such and such robux um and you know and i don't think that roblox is shady particularly and there are ways that a, a kid can have a supply of robux with a with a subscription which a parent can pay for and it's not too sort of seedy that way but it is teaching them or kind of normalizing yeah. a, a world in which everything is gated with a micropayment it's like a sort of sci-fi novel you know <laughs> come come real really mm. yeah it's i mean like especially i think part of this is gen- generational but also it's bad have you considered it's bad good yeah yeah. those are the two things it's both cool and bad (laughs) well that was the question or one of the questions (laughs) our final question comes from henry who writes dear cnc if there was one thing you could say explain shout or confess to a specific game character who and what would it be my boring background story i'm currently finishing deus ex mankind divided and i find it quite frustrating that the game doesn't acknowledge my non-lethal approach while fighting some officers in a police station, one of them screamed, Cop killer! in my direction, and I wanted to reply, Excuse me, sir, but I've not killed any of your comrades. I'm just knocking them out. But I couldn't, and I felt bad. Keep putting Henry. <laughs> They're just sleeping. They're it's all fine. very sleepy. <laughs> They've gone to the nice farm. <laughs> I'd like I'd like characters to, to tell me that it's okay to, to use my big stock of grenades that I haven't used. <laughs> you it's can okay. blow us up, it's fine. It's okay. They're, the, the economy of the game is such that you haven't always have enough. Yeah. Oh, wait. These are not the people you're using them on. Maybe. I don't care. It's very weak to me. grenades. It's very efficient. <laughs> we will drop you more grenades on death. I promise you there's no other enemy that's better to use a grenade on than me. I'm yeah. prime candidate. I've got five grenades on me. If you, if you use less than five grenades to kill me, you're, you're golden. Win, win. You can only hold five grenades if you don't use all your grenades. You haven't maximally profited from this. There's an infinite grenade box right around the corner. I, I put it there myself. <laughs> Why do we all sound like we're shouting through a toilet cubicle door? There was a great... Come out in a minute. A great story from one of the writers of the Punisher game who said that um, he was writing incidental dialogue and uh, he had a 
you're pushing a man's face into a saw blade and he's begging for his life and the censors came back and said no you can't do that um you can have the scene of gross torture but not if the person expresses a desire for it not to happen so fucking love it mate (laughs) you have to change all the dialogue to basically yeah like go on do it i don't care or whatever (laughs) it's fine to put their face through the saw blade they just can't appear to not want it But what is the message that that is giving that to the player? Like, saying, people love this stuff. You should do that, as opposed to this is a person going <laughs> through horror. Maybe don't do this. <laughs> um, as long as you're not forced to reflect on your actions. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. My thing was um, obviously the Spelunky shopkeepers. Who, uh, they, if if for any reason any of their stock is taken out of their shop, or they take any damage, or any part of their shop, or the surrounding rock is damaged, <laughs> they go into a homicidal spree in which they jump up and down and shoot you. And in fairness, they don't only shoot you; they shoot everyone, including if they are selling people, they will shoot their own people. <laughs> they will shoot each other. They will uh, kill other shopkeepers. Um, they will kill themselves when they're bouncing around. They are indiscriminate. But it is personal because thereafter there will be a poster of your face in all other shops saying that you're a thief. <laughs> Even if it wasn't you who blew up the thing or who <laughs> took the thing. Basically, you want a right to a trial. Like You want happiest <laughs> corpus. I present my evidence <laughs> like- and say... Look, clearly it was that tribesman who picked up the boomerang. He picked up the boomerang because he didn't have a boomerang. And when he left the shop, you took that as someone's ceiling, which it was, yes. But it wasn't me. It was that tribesman. You saw him do it. But you're the only person with agency in the world of Splunky. Therefore, you're the only person capable of crime. They also, I think they've unionized because um, <laughs> in the black market, if you piss off one shopkeeper, all shopkeepers are angered instantly. They're all one faction. So um they have like a telepathic link for one thing and also they're all equally angry about the theft and will kill everyone including each other which i think is how unions work (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say it's it's more um mafioso (laughs) yeah yeah it's like a protectionist kind of thing cartel yeah i was gonna say like there's so many examples of this for me like any bioware game where you know that one of the potential dialogue options pisses off the character and one of them potentially leads to like the romance track or whatever and you're allowed to do both <clears throat> sorry my voice is going but you're not allowed but and but there's no real you know effect to the flow of the conversation apart from the fact that it sounds a bit weird to kind of bounce from pissing someone off to like following the but i like you really thing the inability to say i only said the other thing because it was there <laughs> it's, it's i just wanted all the content i just i said i was i i wasn't i was just clicking all the options i forgot i didn't realize this was a bit where some of them were exclusive i was just saying all the things i was allowed to say um, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I tell you what, recently, uh, playing Jurassic World Evolution, a game I'm sorry, I'm to, I'm pretty, this isn't a game character so much as it is the man, Jeff Goldblum, but I don't know why he's in it. And I'm really sad that you don't have any, <laughs> I don't, you don't have any control in that, but like over who you talk to or who talks to you, but I don't know why he's there yeah. and he's there a lot. And, well, he's there because he was gettable. Somehow. Yeah. You, like by, uh, in a production sense, like, we can get Jeff Goldblum, so of course we should have Jeff Goldblum. But it makes no sense that he's there because he provides like tutor- tutorial bits. He's just he? talked over the right? game. He talks yeah. over the game, and he, you know, if you, <clears throat> he's sort of there to. There's a sort of story that he's commenting on. Weirdly, it's like it's like you're in the WhatsApp group for like everybody who's ever worked for InGen. 
and they're just talking about stuff, but it's not of it's very high stakes. But then if you build like a T Rex, you'll be like, no, oh, it's a T Rex. It's Agent of Chaos. Uh, bye. And then. <laughs> what do you want to say to Jeff Goldblum? Why are you here? <laughs> what, what is your job? And what is my job? In this role play that we are doing, you, Jeff Goldblum, as Dr. Ian Malcolm, and me, the player. Like, I am ostensibly like the new director of Jurassic World. But that doesn't mesh with the film, the new film, because, you know, a lot of people got murdered by dinosaurs, which isn't a concern in the game where it just applies a small monetary inconvenience. Um, so who am I, basically, is the first question I would ask Jeff Goldman. <laughs> and I, actually, I trust that he would have an answer to that. He would. <laughs> like, who am on I? His knee and, who, uh, who am I in this scenario? And who are you? Because his character, Ian Markham, doesn't work for Jurassic world yeah never has as far as i can tell he's a consultant so why is he there because omnipresence Pretty, awareness yeah of- is he god mm. like he he comments like or is he a voice in my head like none of the other characters respond to him so is this like a fight club sort of scenario <laughs> <laughs> like i've invented i think that's it dr ian Mark, like i just i don't get it and i, I want the option to say like stop calling me or like but don't because <laughs> don't because i would miss you jeff goldblum is dr ian markham but but i just it's such a weird instance of like there's no there's no logic there other than the pure production logic of we're making this licensed thing this man should be here yeah you know like i played the game before i saw the new film when i saw the new film i was surprised to see how jeff goldblum fit into it because it has absolutely nothing to do with the game whatsoever so he is in it is he on holiday this time he's in the movie yeah he's pulled in to do math one last time no not at all he's barely in it like it's um he's uh uh, minor spoilers for Jurassic world fallen kingdom he's simply being like uh he's just giving a testimony to a court about why the dinosaur apocalypse is probably a bad thing (laughs) <laughs> and he gives his testimony to the court at the start and the end of the film. The film was bookended by presumably one extremely long court session where Jeff Goldblum, being Jeff Goldblum, just says like, well, you know, I said this would happen. Well, essentially the dinosaurs are on trial, but I don't want to get into the into the, the, the weeds on this too much. But essentially they're consulting Jeff Goldblum on whether or not this should be dinosaurs. And he's like, I don't know, but no, but also, yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of the film he goes yeah but also no Jurassic World and then the film ends <laughs> he, he himself is never under any peril and a lot of things are going on a lot of people in the film would be m- more appropriate to call in front of dinosaur court <laughs> well he's a, he's a he's a kind of like a witness for the kind of um, character witness for dinosaurs <laughs> he's, a, he's a character witness for dinosaurs and in, and in the game Jurassic World Evolution he's a character witness for you I suppose. Yeah. Because he's like, you, know, you built the Indominus Rex. Why have you done that? And I'm like, oh, okay. because it generates just, some money. Just because it was there. The game. <laughs> it was there. It was another thing. It's literally like, uh, I no, could, I, I didn't even ask me. whether I should, I just did. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, oh, I've got so many questions about that game. <laughs> <laughs> but anyone else like to explain something to a game character? Now now's a, a safe environment to do that. <laughs> No, I mean, if Jeff Goldblum showed up in anything else, I'd also want to know why, <laughs> yeah. why are you also here? 
But that, in a way, would almost be the only way to justify his presence in Jurassic World Evolution, apart from the pure mercantile kind of, like, the characters in it, would be to say that, well, he's in every game. Because, <laughs> like, ever since the that, like, bonus mode on 30 Flights of Loving, where every character can be replaced with Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> simply because of the Idle Thumbs thing. Mm. This is the dangerous crossover territory. Um, you know, that would be, if that was in present in every game, if every game had Jeff Goldblum mode, then they could have gone, well, we all we've done is incorporated it into the main body experience. Made it non-optional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's how they don't get dragged in front of a dinosaur court. We are now out of questions. <laughs> and that brings us to the outro of the podcast, mm. which I will now perform. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Thank you for sending us a question. If you'd like to send us a question, mm. <laughs> stop giggling and going, hmm. <laughs> okay. If you'd like to send us a question for future episodes of the podcast, it got really warm, didn't it? That's what mm. happened. Mm. Not warm and sticky. If you'd like to send us a question for future episodes of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at Crate and Crowbar. As ever, the Crate and Crowbar is supported by our Patreon backers. Thank you very much to all of our Patreon backers. You can find out more about becoming a Patreon backer at patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. I'm just going to say Patreon backer one more time. Uh, if you'd like to find us on YouTube, that's youtube.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar, where you'll find uh, podcasts and some videos Sometimes some more videos eventually we're trying. Uh, if you would like to follow us as individuals, you can find me on Twitter at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Who wants to go next and why is it Tom Francis? Uh, I am <laughs> not going to answer that. Just going to launch straight into the spelling of my Twitter handle, which is Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Congratulations. I am rotational. <laughs> Don't need to spell that. No. Self-evident. Rotational, like the... Geometry. (laughs) (laughs) We should stop. Yep. All right. Thanks Uh, for listening, everybody. everybody. Bye-bye.